guys. We're back for another episode of Craft Beer and Data. My name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist at Talon. I'm Mark Balkany, Director of Technical Product Marketing. And with us today, we have Donald, Guinness Beer Ambassador. Correct. I mean, he, we're here at Guinness. We're at the Holy Land, right? <laughs> I mean, as you can see. So, um, you know, just, just to start off, um, you know, obviously we're really excited about season two. Thank you, Talon, for kicking off this next season. Uh, again, here at Guinness, right? And we're just blown away by the facility. But what I think a lot of our our watchers would love to talk about is just kind of the history yeah. of Guinness, right? So, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly it's one of the most historic breweries that there is. Yeah, so totally. we've been. So I don't know if, if any of you have been to visit Guinness, but the first thing we always show our guests, even before they get a beer, yeah. is <laughs> a copy of the original lease that huh. Arthur Guinness signed for wow. the brewery, right? And this was two things about this lease. First of all, he paid 100 pounds as a deposit, right? Wow. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Second of all, it was for 9,000 years. Also not bad. Oh, wow. So yeah, so uh, we would yeah, still have, probably. yeah, we've got, I think, 8,741 years left yeah. to go. So we're not panicking. Um, so, but that was, that was in 1759. So that yeah. was 258 years ago. So um, it's been quite a while, you know, um, and we've been, we've been brewing here ever since. Uh, we have expanded from just four acres to what, 55 acres wow. now yeah, that we have. Uh, we've been exporting beer to the, you know, to the West Indies, all around Europe since the early 1800s. And then this beer that you're enjoying right now, Guinness Draft, which mm -hmm. a lot of people just know as Guinness, right. um, is, is actually one of our newer beers. I mean, this has only been around since 1959. And the key selling point on this was it was the first beer to use nitro gas ah, in the world. Yeah. So it was the first nitrogenated beer. So that's the reason it's so smooth and so creamy. And yeah, that was like breath, whole new uh, or whole fresh breath of air, I guess, into the brand. Yeah. You know? No, it's, uh, you were mentioning earlier before we were kind of getting ready, it's, it's easier to chug because of the nitro. Well, we never chug again. No, 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 no. And because we're here, our, our, and I'm glad I get to say this because I don't want to lose again. Um, <laughs> we will not be doing no. our beer big day to chug, but we say it takes, the rules. it takes so much effort to brew a beer exactly. so perfect that we right. respect the beer. Yeah. We respect the beer. We take our time with it. We enjoy it. It's appearance, it's aroma, it's flavor and everything about it. Well, and it's interesting too, um, given that kind of process. And again, when we were talking about this, there, there was kind of that misnomer that, oh, this tastes different mm. here than what we get back in the States. And the reality of that really is that, you know, there's, there's a step process that most of the breweries that, that allow you to have Guinness are supposed to have. So Absolutely. Yeah. What, what are those seven steps? Yeah. So essentially, once the beer is brewed, I mean, if you're drinking a Guinness in uh, Ireland, in the UK, anywhere around Europe, North America, it's all the same beer. It's all been brewed right here at St. James's Gate. So that's the first, the first little, I suppose, uh, myth to debunk is, oh, you know, they brew it somewhere else. Right. We do have breweries in Africa. They brew just for Africa. We do have breweries in Asia. They brew just for Asia. So hmm. if it's you know yourselves drinking a Guinness at home it's from us okay so when the beer is leaving the brewery it's always got to be in spec we're always going to make sure I mean there are over 250 quality checks done on every single that's brew every that's single a brew. Lot of data. that's a lot of data that's a lot of data we ah, well we keep that under wraps yeah. you know mm. we keep that under our Guinness hats so but then in the bars we have to make well what we do is we, we when we're doing bar training is yeah. we encourage the seven C's okay all right so the seven C's I mean it starts with something simple, a clean glass, okay? You would be shocked, well maybe not, but you would you'd <laughs> yeah. be very interested to know that like a clean glass is the, the fundamental basics of any beer. You get a greasy glass, 
your beer is ruined. It doesn't matter how good the beer is, as soon as it gets into the glass, right, it's, just it's not going to do well. The second would be the correct gas mix. All right, so we've got something uh, with Guinness where we do by uh, 80% nitrogen gas and 20% CO2. Yeah. The nitrogen rises to the top and it forms that lovely foam. And I mean, you've been drinking those beers for quite a few minutes now, and you'll see you've still got the foam on the top. Yeah. So it's really important. If you were to get that gas mix wrong, either the foam would be too thick and the beer would be difficult to drink, or if the foam is too thin, your beer goes flat. Interesting. So it's really important. Um, there is one of the C's which is mainly just about, I suppose, branding, but it's all about the counter visibility. So we always want the Guinness counter, you know, you see it, you know. Right. I think about, I think the stats say about one in three people don't know what they're going to order before they arrive at the bar. So it is important to obviously have that. Right, there, no, that so, makes sense. So people know. You'd be one of those? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was looking for something new. The always. correct temperature is important because, again, if uh, if beer is ice cold, and I mean ice ice cold, we don't taste it. It doesn't matter right. what, how good the beer is. If right. you serve it ice cold, you don't taste it. Uh, and if it's served too warm, sometimes you can get flavors that you might not necessarily want. So we want Guinness at 6 Celsius, which is about 42 Fahrenheit. Okay. And as close to that as possible. You've got consistent freshness, which means if the keg is hooked up for longer than seven days, you change the keg. All right? You don't want any more... any. Once the keg is hooked up, the beer can get oxidized. Right. So yeah. You Guinness don't want. Ever last seven days. I mean, not in Ireland. <laughs> not in Ireland. No, not in Ireland. There's like 88 pints in a keg. There's, so there's another stat I'd like to know. <laughs> How many go past seven days? Well, ever? yeah, I'd rather not know that. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got the uh, obviously the clean lines. You mm -hmm. want clean lines at all times. And then the final one is just the crafted presentation. So when a pint of Guinness is poured, you always want the foam to peak above the rim, no spillage, what we call tears. We don't want tears over the end, and the foam should be in spec. So we got a specific head height that we're looking for as well. So yeah. okay. that's pretty much it. You know, they're the seven C's. So that's a little bit of a quality lesson, I suppose. No, that is it. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. excellent. It's really cool. Yeah, I, I never really thought about, but I mean, you know, it's it's fascinating just the types of things and the craftsmanship that has gone into this. Absolutely. Right? Um, and I think there's a number of, of craft breweries that we go to that would love to imitate that type of professionalism. For but sure. I mean, you know, that like uh, there's a lot of people that are that are making great beer, oh, but yeah. just now they're focused on getting the beer right. And yeah. There's nothing wrong with that either. It took us quite a while to get to this level too. So you, you have the recipe down. Now. Uh, you could say that. Yeah, you could say <laughs> that. And quite a few. You know, people people often think that Guinness just brews one beer because for our generation, this is this has been the most popular Guinness. Right. But you talk like before Guinness Draft ever came out, there was the, the Guinness Extra Step, which mm -hmm. you can still get today but it's a much more traditional carbonated style again a stout and now with I suppose the new uh, yeah the world that's just opened up now of, of beer uh, ambassadorship and beer fandom over yeah. the last few years beer fandom. Beer thank fandom, you for keeping us in business yeah, the beer fandom. Slauncha, as we say in Ireland which means cheers but um, yeah so I mean for I suppose 15 years ago if Guinness came out with a new beer which we did we were always coming out with new innovations yeah. people were kind of going mm, yeah cool but we like this right now today everyone's going yeah I drink Guinness but I also like a sour and an IPA and I also like all this sort of stuff so it's given us license to release people a few people like more IPAs beers. Mark I'm telling you no, <laughs> You don't like IPAs? I'm not a hophead. That's not. Learn that term. There's a difference between a, a hop bomb and yeah, a nice, okay. well balanced okay. IPA. You know? Yeah, yeah. I've you actually know? had a few good, okay. well balanced IPAs that I do like. We've got a we've got one in the states that's the nitro IPA, which is it's not very bitter, but there's five hops, three of them are aromatic hops, and they've been used to dry hop. We'll have to try that. And it's yeah, it's it's as smooth as Guinness, so it's just like this, but with more of an amber honey color. So yeah, yeah that'd be perfect. Well, and it, you know, interesting, you mentioned just the the variety of, of beers that you guys brew. Yes. There's been there's been a new one within the last 
you know, decade. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But there, there have been quite a few um, yeah. within the last decade. I think the one that you're referring to is the Guinness Blonde yes. American Lager. So this is something that, you know, we didn't just release for the sake of it. It's something that a lot of time and, and thought went into. Mm -hmm. um, but the simple fact of the matter is, uh, if, if you look at the island of Ireland, there's six million change people. Right. Uh, in the US, there are about 32.5 million Irish Americans. Wow. All right. So you're talking five times and more as mm -hmm. many. Um, now, a lot of those people love the idea of, you know, celebrating their Irish heritage, um, you know, St. Patrick's Day, everything like that. But perhaps their palate isn't quite on the level of stout. Right. So there are people who go, I want to be as Irish as possible, but I drink an American light lager, something like that. So we said, well, why don't we take the, the brewing traditions of Guinness, use, uh, we actually based the brewing in the US. So yeah. it was originally at the Latrobe Brewery in Pennsylvania. Uh, now we have a new facility in Baltimore, which is working on all of our American innovations and they are now taking the Blonde American Lager. Huh. So essentially what it is, it's a 5% ABV, nice malty lager. Um, it would play in the same park as, as you know, some of the other great lagers like Brooklyn Lager or Sam Adams, or stuff okay. like that. So it's a nice full-bodied malty flavor yeah, to it. And, uh, and that's what it is. So, you know, it's from Guinness, so you know you can trust it. You know that our brewing expertise got into it. But it's got, you know, only the best American ingredients, American brewers, but a European brewing style. Oh, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, and that's and that's one of many. Like, look at for other beers, especially in U.S. shores. Now we've got a release of uh, one of our old Belgian uh, stouts that we sent over to Belgium in 1944, which is called the. Originally, it was called the Special Export, but the new branding is the Antwerp okay. Stout, which is uh, an eight percent double malt extra stout. That sounds delicious. Which is, it's yeah. delicious. Yeah, it's it's decadent. You're gonna sit over it, and you're gonna take right. your time with it. You of promise course. me you're I gonna take your time with it. Time. All right. I only chug the blonde. Do not chug. <laughs> <laughs> take your time with it, man. Respect the beer, as I always say. Absolutely. But that's the way it comes down to it. I mean, there's so much more on the horizon. Right. And like in in 1959, when this was released, that was considered new, and people. We're kind of like, ooh, what's this oh, all about? Well, hey, now. Look at it now. Yeah, no, so, it's fair. There's always the way, you know. Well, and it's so you've mentioned there's a wide variety. Do you can you even say about if you have a favorite? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, okay, no problem. So, the my approach to beer is, is the one of uh, the famous phrase, different horses for different courses. So Amen. if I'm going to have a beer, catching up with a buddy on a Friday evening, it's always going to be Guinness Draft, right? It's such a great pub culture beer, mm -hmm. nice sessionable. Uh, you get to enjoy low alcohol by volume. So, you know, just a really nice beer to enjoy and have it with some food or something like that. But uh, for instance, if I'm at home and I'm just going to have one or two beers, I'll probably go for something like the Guinness Foreign Extra Stout, which okay. is uh, the Guinness of choice in Africa and Asia. Huh. And it's, again, it's quite a robust, strong stout. It's up at 7.5% ABV. It's a very high hop content, about 65 uh, bitterness units IBUs in there. Um, but there's a really nice sweet caramel flavor to it, too. Okay. You can get that beer in the USA, too, in case oh, you're... Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Foreign, foreign extra stout. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That would be probably my... Yeah. yeah. Flavor-wise, that's my favorite. <laughs> Getting back to your question. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. I mean, cool. th this has been a wealth of information, not only yes. for our viewers, but for us as well. My so pleasure. Uh, yeah, appreciate you taking the time. You got it, man. Um, yeah, so we'll be back in a minute, uh, get some of that technical stuff done. But again, you know, we're here at Guinness, and thank you very much. Thank you. We're back, I mean, from probably the best interview that we've had Absolutely. on this series. Absolutely, by far. Really informative. Um, so for those of you that might be tuning in right now, my name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist at Talon. I'm Mark Balkneny, Director of Technical Product Marketing at Talon. And this is an episode of Craft Beer and Data. So, you know, over the last year, we had a number of episodes devoted to either types of data, new ways of processing data, or heck, really even just 
you know, new data, anything about data. Uh, today we wanted to take a moment to talk about new ways of storing data and structuring that data, right? So if you know, you're out there and maybe you've heard of the concept of a data vault, right? Or even data lakes, and you're curious what data lakes are versus, and, and how, how do you structure the data in a data lake? So let's actually, let's, let's, let's touch on that to start. Mark, when you look at like a traditional data warehouse versus a data lake, mm -hmm. what would you think are the differences? Well, I, I personally, the number one biggest difference that, that I feel is data warehouses, you know, enterprise data warehouses, big or small, whatever the, whatever the target is for your enterprise data warehouse, it's a very structured, transformed data, cleansed data. The data has to fit into the, the, to the structure and the format of your star schema or your normalized forms. Uh, versus data lakes, the objective of a data lake is really to give users access to the raw data. Yeah. Right? Okay. So that could be anything. It could be structured, unstructured, uh, semi-structured. It could be JSON, XML, whatever, web logs. It's this, the data lake is really targeted to have the full raw data in it. Okay. That's, that's, that's the Mark Balkan Indy opinion. Right. Well, I know there's much more on it, but I'm really trying to summarize for those people that are like, I keep hearing this data lake term and what does, what, what, what is it? Right. And it's really to have the raw data that you can then build your, you know, your reporting off of. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then when we start looking at kind of the, you know, the data warehouse versus the data lake, um, yes, and I do recognize that we might have skipped ahead, but as we were educated during the episode, we can't necessarily do a data chug. At, of Guinness. Yeah, a big data no. chug. So but, we're, we're going to skip this, this one, and uh, nobody wins or loses, oh, right? Thank goodness. <laughs> we talked about having, you know, since we're in Dublin, in Ireland, uh, having some people help you, some, some actual amount, Irish people help you. The amount of practice I went through to get ready for this to, season. Um, to, to maybe beat me. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll but we're not going to do it here because it's, it's uh, sacrilegious right. to, it, it, to chug Guinness. Uh, you know, when in Mecca, right, you got to respect. Absolutely. So we're going to respect the beer. Yeah. So we'll do a, a big data sip. And you got to keep the and pinky out when cheers. you do this. Oh, just a well, oh, you can get a cheers now. Right, so if you've seen our ad, <laughs> chances are our Mark bloopers. struggles, you know, or bloopers. Mark struggles with cheers. So uh, this this cheer, hold, sh sh calm down, man, calm down. We got a whole episode. Um, this cheers goes out to Cubal, right? Uh, Which if you've yep. never heard before, um, is basically big data platform as a service. So Cubal guys, great working with you this week. Ready, Mark? Now remember, you clean glasses. Oh, is that how you cheers? drink? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, man. All right, ready? Cheers. Cheers. Wow. wow. It only took 32 and takes. You didn't swear at me either this time. You know, I, I respect you enough not to this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyways, back, back, <laughs> back, to the, back to the topic. Right. So I mean, we talked about the difference between the data warehouse as well as the data lake. And, and all of a sudden now with these changes, obviously the way that we structure and store that data is likely going to have to change as well. Absolutely. So one of the things that we've seen a lot of our, our customers and, and people that we've worked with out, out in the field struggle with is, is when they're moving to the, the uh, data lakes or these you know, Hadoop, HDFS, file systems, S3, you know, whatever, you pick your poison, whichever you want to store your data on. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's different vendors out there and different methods. Uh, the traditional, you know, third normal form and slowly changing dimensions and fact tables and uh, all that, it, 
it fails, it falls down in this new, you know, I hate yeah. using the term big data world, but right. it yeah. fails in these big data technologies out there. It, it, they just, uh, it doesn't support the old star schema. And, and I say old as in the old trusted way of doing it. And, and, and the other thing I want to make sure I point out is, yeah. is we're not saying that you know, data warehousing as we knew it for the last 20, 25 years is, is dying or going away. Right, of course. It's absolutely required and needed for, you know, for what it's been doing for years. And, and ERPs and CRMs and SFAs, they're not going away. Those systems are not going away. Yeah. And, and they're perfect for the structured you know, databases, enterprise data warehouses to do the exact analytics that they've been doing for, for yeah. years now. We're talking about the new forms of data and the new platforms that you're putting this data into that... Yeah, well, you're hitting it right on the head. I mean, it's essentially... It's, I always do, Nick. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's more of the fact that, look, for many of the developers, the types of data, either the structure or the way that it's coming in, doesn't necessarily allow you the time to have to try to cleanse it or really even maintain the, the kind of normalized form in terms mm. of like what the data might look like. And that's, I think, traditionally what we've seen when it comes to trying to take either a star schema or um, you know, the, the normal forms into kind of those structures for HDFS or S3 or Google yeah. storage, things like that. So, And data quality is still very important. Oh, absolutely. But, but the value of the data lake, again, is having the raw data. Mm -hmm. And raw data is a double-edged sword, right? Because you have the raw data, and that's what I want, and I want to be able to look at my raw data and do all the things I want to do. But it also, raw data has bad data quality, typically. There's always data quality issues. So, yeah. you know, people are like, oh, my data lake has bad data quality, but you wanted the raw data, the source data, you know, whatever you call it. So you're naturally going to have that problem. So, but you still keep the raw data, but there's ways to take that data, keep it as close to native and raw as you can, and move it into you know, a, a new type of methodology of storing your data. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think what, the one that I'm most familiar with, the star schema, where you kind of have the fact tables and dimension tables, like now that we're in this new data vault methodology, which I call it new, but it's been around and been tested for the last two decades. Yeah, the founder um, of, of the methodology has been using it for the last two decades, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how's it different? I, so yeah, so you mentioned Data Vault. I think that was the first time we brought it up. So yeah. Data Vault is is a way, is another methodology of storing your data. Yeah. In in your uh, you know data lakes. I mean, they work great as well in you know a lot of the our, you know relational databases. But they work well on file systems. It works well. It's a methodology of storing your data that's very different than say the Star Schema world and. The reason it's, it's very different is because instead of focusing where star schema you build around you know, the fact tables built on the transaction or built on what you want to report against, the data vaults are built on the business keys or the, what, is, what is the business key for and it stores the data very close to the, the raw format. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you have separate vaults or separate methods to build out your reporting or your operational data vaults, your information data vaults. Uh, but it stores it in a form that it, one is very agile right. to do to make updates and changes uh, without impacting anything downstream. That's, That's very amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it keeps the lineage uh, lineage 
lineage. Yes, thank I got you. you big guy. <laughs> Too many Guinnesses here. English is, is my second language. It's true. <laughs> I've been told by a few people. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, um, yeah no, the line, which, which is actually, as you kind of mentioned, like the lineage of it, and well, as well as kind of the metadata of it, too. You know, we constantly hear when people are trying to implement a data lake that those two things are absolutely critical for businesses to be able to actually successfully implement a data lake. Absolutely. So having that kind of built in is just foundational to right. the methodology itself. So yeah, so if you're following, you know, the, the founder, Dan Linsad, I have to give him a call out to him and I'm, I'm 2.0 certified on, on yeah. Data Vault and I've actually implemented my first, uh, well, I have to say my second because uh, <laughs> our, our guy here at town, Dale Anderson, another big advocate of Data Vault, mm -hmm. would call me out probably on, on the uh, message or something that it's really my second attempt. Right. My first attempt was before I did the training, but you know, so I did the best I could. But my second attempt is much better. And, and so I've, I've taken it and I've implemented you know, using some of our internal data. And it's, right. you know, it's real data. It's real stuff that's coming in. Uh, and it's, it's very... The, the benefits are just beyond, you know, just real. And, and Dan Lindstedt has done a great job documenting it. He does certifications on it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But the, the agile piece of it is what, you know, is one of the things that's the most impressive to me. Meaning, you know, I've built a lot of data warehouses and star schemas and, and all that in, yeah. in my career. And every time you get a new fact table or you get even a new attribute, that gets added to say a dimension, right? And or you get a new dimension, you have to update the fact table. You have to update, create the dimensions. You have to change it all, update it all, reload it all. Right. Months later, you finally have this in production, and, right? And <laughs> hope that that's you can, great. That's agile. <laughs> yeah, that's agile. And you know, you hope that you still maintain referential integrity. And your business isn't thing. pissed off, or they no longer need the data because. Half the time the business is like, I didn't need that anymore. I figured out how to get it. I went around you, blah, blah, blah. You know, so the data vaults is a way, you know, they have a process. The methodology talks about hubs and uh, satellite and link tables. Mm -hmm. And, and the, that's the essence of the data vault. And the ability to, the, what that gives you is you have hubs that represent, say, the business keys. Yep. So your customer, your user, you know, whatever the business represents recognizes that's your hub and then your satellites are the attributes so what that does is anytime I have a new new attribute I add a new satellite it's a right. new table in the schema yeah and I no longer I don't have to reload anything I don't have to drop anything and reload and do all that stuff I just start I keep building out my hubs and my satellites and the links between them and and representative and it when it it shows me how the data is represented in real life it keeps the source data. Every time I get a new record, it shows me where it came from, when it was loaded. Yeah, that's very powerful. So I have all the lineage, so like, you know, HIPAA, you know, defense systems. You know, Dan talks a lot in his training about how this was worked used in, in uh, defense contract companies and stuff like that, and it meets all their requirements for, you know, <laughs> metadata and the traceability and things like that. It's, it's very impressive. Yeah, well, it was actually something as we were prepping for this episode you talked about, which is, the methodology itself and the models that you can create really stand up against both batch-oriented processing as well as kind of these real-time streaming cases too. Absolutely, if you follow the the data vault methodology, you know, and what the recommendations uh, that that has been put out there, the the great thing is is the data vault at every level, whether it's the raw data vault, the information data vault, they all 
will conform to both batch and real time. You have to make no changes. If, if you start out batch with your source of data and you want to turn it to streaming like we talked last, yeah, last episode, or two episodes ago, actually, I think it was, whatever. <laughs> Who's counting? Yeah. Have another beer. Um, it, uh, you know, the model, the methodology supports it, and, and you, if you do it right, you actually don't have to change your model or anything. You just hmm. flip on the streaming and it can and populate and go. Yeah, so I mean, as we kind of been talking about it. With some talent, you can flip well, it of on course. streaming. Yeah, with talent. Um, but what's, what's absolutely fascinating about this, and something that we've been talking about, is just oftentimes, when we talk to customers that are trying to implement a big data solution and are trying to build a data lake, all of the, the cases where they fail, either they don't necessarily have the right information from a lineage perspective, they don't have the metadata, they're not able to actually handle the volumes that they're working with. This type of methodology really helps, in, you know, in my mind, help prevent your data lake from becoming a data swamp. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely, and it also overcomes one of the big challenges that we also see a lot in our professional services and our you know pre-sales people that are doing POCs and proof of values and things like that is you know everybody you know they're been in the data relational database world mm -hmm. for so long and they're used to the acid transactions and the crud and you know updates and everything and with the data vault methodology it you no longer have the need to update. It's, yeah. it's insert only. So it really fits well into yeah. the, I hate to say it again, the big data technologies that are out there that, that don't, you know, I know, I know listeners are like, well, Hive has updates now and they support trans, you know, acid transactions. How's that again? I got it. I got it. But it's still nowhere near the speed of relational databases. Right. That, you know, because relational databases, let's re I mean, they've been around for 25, 30 years. They're tuned for that type of activity. So if right. that's what you want to do is update constantly, then you, maybe you just stick to relational databases, you know, or, or other type of column or databases that might be, you know, suited for that type of stuff. But mm -hmm. for this, you know, for the data lakes and needing a methodology to really model your data, <coughs> You're drinking too fast. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know I couldn't enjoy my beer, Mark. For once, For you once have to have the conversation. Me. Yeah, you know? I want you saying I don't contribute in the other videos. I'm just saying, you know, stealing my beer last episode was probably not the nicest thing you could have done. I'm still angry about well, it. Well, you weren't drinking it. Well, I'm sorry, you know. There needs to be information as well as the consumption. Uh, no, I mean, but, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, um, you know, as you kind of mentioned, Right. <laughs> As you kind of mentioned, the, the traditional data warehousing and the star schema and relational forms, those aren't necessarily going away. Right? This is definitely for a new type Absolutely of no. use case and things like that. And one of the things that calls out is that while this is a, a huge benefit to be able to handle some of those insert-only types, it does require you to have a little bit more awareness of the business problem, right? Absolutely. Be able to help define the hubs and things like that, right? And the business should be involved, and, and that's all part of when you dig into what data vaults are, you'll, you'll learn, you know, there's a the very tight, it's not only just a methodology for modeling, but it's a, really a methodology for agile development processes uh, for your modeling and, and to be successful. And, yeah. and uh, you know, with, with the, if you do the training with, you know, with the data vault training experts out there, they, yeah. they focus not only just on data modeling, but also the methodology and the yeah, practice the around implementing an agile data model. Because it's very different. I mean, 
traditionally data modeling and data warehouses are not typically agile. It's not something yeah. you focus agile. It's more waterfall where you do an implementation, you test, and this is really in more of a much more agile type environment that that they've built this methodology around. Yeah, I no. thought he said it was lower alcohol content. <laughs> no, calorie seems, content. Oh. Calorie content, right? We've got to watch our figures. Um, no, so actually you brought up a very interesting point. So if I'm really interested in understanding this data vault concept a little better, where should I go? Uh, well, I would, I would definitely, you know, there's uh, some great places. Dan Lindstadt's website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... I forgot it off the top of my head. I, I just heard it earlier. But I would definitely, you know, look, look for Dan Lindstadt's uh, and his, his organization. Um, it's, it's been going on, it's version 2 now, uh, they have a great book too that you can get. I think version 2.0 of the certification is just, um, or the book is coming out yeah. soon. They haven't released the book yet, but all the training, mm -hmm. so I just did the training about six months ago and I'm certified in the 2.0 version right. now, which is great. Um, I actually waited for that training to come out instead of getting <laughs> certified on the old version. Um, and some good differences between the two. Uh, if you're only if you do know data vaults and you've only done the one, whatever dot five I think or dot six, yeah. the two O is the one that addresses a lot of the differences for real time, for the Hadoop and environments, the HDFSs and stuff like that. And yeah, I see you're finished your beer. Yeah, you know. Um, and there's also a couple other companies out there that are certified to train yeah. on data vaults. There's a data vault world conference out there that Dale yeah. uh, Anderson from Town. Speaking is of which, we of. are sponsoring that again this We're year. So if, this if year. you'd like to meet us at that data vault conference, we'll definitely be there. Um, and you know, I think that's a kind of a key point that we can take away is that yeah. ultimately there's a lot of information about this new way of modeling your data, yeah. the methodologies of that, you know, and essentially I, it's, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, just before we close too, because mm -hmm. I got the sense that maybe because you finished your beer, you want to end or well, here, get I'll you just, another, uh, no. <laughs> I will help you there, sir. Uh, well, somebody <laughs> had to provide all the information on this topic, but anyway. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I think I think the wow. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, hurt, Mark. Uh, it's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nick. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. This but what this I week on craft beer and data. <laughs> I'm Nick. Mark's gone. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I just want. I do want to say, you know, from my experience, you know, I, like I said, I have built data warehouses mm -hmm. and operational data stores, you know, in in the real world. Uh, I got certified on Data Vault, and I'm building a Data Vault at at our internal IT for our internal IT at, at Talon on some data internally, um, using the Data Vault methodology on Snowflake. Yeah, and I love Snowflake, uh, and I love Data Vaults. I'll tell you, Data Vault has a lot of great advantages, and I hope you heard that throughout this. You mm -hmm. know where I felt the advantages are, and Agile is a huge part of it. You know, not having you know when I you know, because I, I'm I'm shadow IT because I'm in marketing and I'm doing this no, data vault. You for are IT. shadow IT. Let's <laughs> yeah. not put the parentheses around it. <laughs> well, you I'm, are. I'm the antithesis. <laughs> so I'm building this data vault for reporting on internal numbers. Yeah. For IT and <clears throat> so it's real data. It's a real example. I'm not just kidding around here. I'm not just playing, building demos or whatever. It's a real thing, and and I can see the real value in data vaults over the traditional star schemas yeah. and the, the traditional data warehousing practices that, are, that have been practiced for years. There is real value there and I, and I urge and I deploy people to go check this out because you will, you will see 
some real advantages because I, you know, the agile piece is the biggest thing for me. Yeah. Because I, I do it on the side, so I'm gonna do this part, yeah. and then next week I'll come back or next month or whatever when I, you know, I have free moments, I'm gonna come back and build this part. Right. And it doesn't impact that part. I can push this all the way out to production, and it can be, you know, successfully deployed, running safely. Yeah. And I can go start developing and add this piece, and I don't have to reload everything. It's great. It's got some really good advantages to it from a real world experience. So I just wanted to put that out no, there. That's a very valuable uh, piece to that. And, and I think at the end of the day, right, this is, this is something that a lot of the data engineers should seriously take a look at. As I mentioned. Data architects, data yeah, engineers, exactly. absolutely. We are, we're sponsoring the Data Vault Conference this year. We're looking forward to meeting many of you on this topic. Um, so I think at that point, can, can I close it now, Mark? Yeah, you can. Is there anything else? I, I, it's Ooh. a safe space, my friend. Oh, see, see, folks, let's be I honest. I didn't finish that. Right, exactly. <laughs> folks, let's be honest here. All right, it was more about this. No, no, I, no, I wanted to get out there. Oh, later. of course. No, no, I hear you. Um, <laughs> now, this isn't just marketing or anything like that. It's, 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 I'm it, doing this, is, this for real. Right, it's Mark's pride <laughs> in any sense of the term. No, um, uh, both. Both, both. <laughs> well, it's the pride of the drink or the pride of the, the work you've done. No, I, and I... I I seriously mean in the sense that this is something you should seriously take a look at. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times. I think, you know, far more often than not, big data projects tend to fail primarily because they don't understand the business need. And second of all, they don't have the, the metadata to really start kind of figuring out what's going on. They don't have the lineage to understand the history of it. So implementing a methodology like this is kind of, it just, it's an absolute critical in my and, opinion. And you can't solve the new world problems with old world methodologies. Couldn't agree this more. is a new methodology for the new world. Yeah. And, and I think if, you, if you're venturing into these new platforms and new types of data, you really need to stop thinking about the old way and look at new ways. And this is one of the ways that's been hugely successful for many of our customers and people out there. Uh, the just success story after after yeah. one after another. So no, it's 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 extremely powerful. So uh, we'll put in the comments some places where you can find additional information about Data Vault. Uh, again, thank you so much for watching this episode of Craft Beer and Data. My name's Nick. I'm Mark, straight from Dublin. Straight from Dublin. Catch you in the next one.